Oh, geez. All these things going bidding at me. Why, why did my computer go bidding through the... Spe oh, because the speakers are set to speakers. That's probably it. <laughs> Four and a half years, boys. Professionals, aren't we? <laughs> Shut up. Hey, it's that's character to the show. This is the AT Banter Podcast. A balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Woo! Professional this time. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me in the room today, Mr. Ryan Fleury. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Steve Barkley. Howdy doody. How are you guys doing? Oh, just better and better. Are you? Yeah, I was, oh, yeah. A, I was a little concerned earlier because our buildings are being pressure washed today. So it's like, oh, the mic's going to pick up everything. But they did ours earlier this morning. So we're good. Oh, excellent. Yep. Good stuff. I don't know, guys. I'm I'm feeling fried. <laughs> no. How are you? Yeah. Why are you fried? Oh, this whole gala thing, man. The gala's over. Oh, yeah, it's done. You're, you're in relax mode now, aren't you? Oh, hell no. As it turns out, there's more to do after gala than there was before. <laughs> yeah, they didn't, they didn't tell me that in the brochure. That's but, funny. But uh, it was good. Yeah, we had this, we had, for people who don't know what we're talking about, uh, the, the organization that I work for uh, had a big online gala this weekend. And it was something that we'd been working towards for about two months now. And yeah, it was a culmination of, of all that hard work, and uh, it was great. It went it went really well for an online event because online events are weird. Yeah, and I think you got to give them a plug. The organization is Blind Beginnings. Their website is blindbeginnings.ca, and check out their podcast called Limitless. It's fantastic. <laughs> Just don't like it better than our podcast. That's, that's right. <laughs> Come back, please. <laughs> <laughs> They have, they have the advantage of they have all that, that young blood in there. That's right. They're not jaded yet. <laughs> Energy and they're not jaded and cynical. So just a segment of our audience, they wouldn't like that. I think many of our audience are grumpy old people like us. Yep. Uh, hey, well, hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Tamara Vrooman, who is the CEO of the Vancouver International Airport, about inclusivity and diversity. Yeah, this is pretty exciting. Uh, she is a big player in the fight for inclusion around here. She's She's been fighting the good fight uh, for many years. Um, so we're really lucky to, to actually have her and to be able to talk to her for a little bit uh, about uh, all about inclusion and why it's important. 
and she joined YVR from uh, my credit union, Van City. So she's pretty lucky that she's not with Van City right now because I'd take her to task on what they're doing for visa upgrades because it's making me mental. <laughs> well, and she might have been the person to talk to. She was the president of Van City. <laughs> That's right. I want to talk to her replacement. <laughs> Although very interesting time to become the head of of, a, of the Vancouver airport mm -hmm. uh, during so I'm sure that's that's a whole other set of challenges but that's for a different podcast. Yep. Yeah. Hey, you guys, you want to talk a little bit of news before we launch uh, into that? Sure. Why not? Uh, you know, I saw an article across my desk yesterday that I thought was interesting. Apparently, the and this is this goes. We're having an election here. Uh, and uh, provincially provincially yes yep. um, and uh, so yeah there's there's a lot of um, news of that ilk around these days and this is one of them but I thought it was interesting so it's not super interesting for those people who are not in British Columbia but bear with us bear with us there'll be something for you too dear listener soon enough <laughs> but uh, apparently the BC New Democrats are promising to introduce a comprehensive piece of legislation ensuring accessibility for people with disabilities within the first sitting of the legislature. Uh, it, was a, it was a campaign announcement from the NDP. Sorry, Steve, go ahead. That would be good, um, you know, if, if they did, but it, it really depends on what the meat is on the bones, right? Yeah, and that's unfortunately, the, you know, that part of it, they've, of course, not really saying. All they've really said is that, uh, that more than 9,000 people have already been involved in consultations with the previous government about the issue. It was, this, this legislation was actually going to hit the legislature in the fall, but of course, COVID-19 changed all that. Selena Robinson, the NDP's candidate for Coquitlam Millardville, said that the legislation will cover both the private and public sectors dealing with issues including housing, transportation, employment, and the delivery of services. She said the legislation would be designed to ensure people with disabilities have equitable access and care. All very vague. Indeed, indeed. Uh, they were actually asked recently, uh, I don't remember which disability organization it was now off the top of my head, but they were asked specifically uh, if they would increase funding uh, for uh, people with disabilities because the, the disability amount that people get uh, in the province right now is below the poverty line. Um, and uh, since the COVID epidemic hit, uh, people have been receiving an additional $300 a month, I believe it is. That's right. Uh, um, and uh, that has been helpful, obviously, for a lot of people. Um, but uh, they were asked if they would make that permanent. And their answer was pretty waffly. Yeah. Uh, they, they didn't actually come out and say, yes, they would increase the amount. They just said that they would do something appropriate. So I think there's a lot of uh, vague politics going on right now. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, they uh, clearly are not putting any real meat on the bones at this point. So we'll, we'll see what comes. But, you know, one, they have to be elected. Um, and there's, you know, some doubt about that. Uh, you know, for, for example, Selena Robinson, who you mentioned she in, in Millardville, um, that, that's been a liberal riding for years. And the likelihood of her flipping that riding is really poor. Yeah. Um, so 
And, uh, you know, what I'm hearing from people on the ground is uh, a lot of people are really angry at them calling a snap election when we have uh, or when we're supposed to have fixed election dates in British Columbia. And uh, they called it in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I think that's going to come back and bite them right in the bum. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, you know, it's, that's really what it sounds like to me, too. It just sounds like this is, uh, they're putting this out there because it's election time and they, they, they want to get that, that vote. Um, so they bring this up without really actually saying what they're, what they're talking about. Because it really, it, it, it sounds like it's, it's, leg, it's legislation that was going in anyways. And you're absolutely right. The Green Party, um, has, of course, has been talking about that, making that $300 a month top up to those people who are on um, disability and income assistance permanent um, while NDP, well, they've been pretty quiet about it and they continue to be pretty quiet about it. So, you know, it does sound like just sort of positioning and, you know, they're just putting something out there to, to have something out there, you know, for this issue. Um, but it doesn't sound like there's really any, any meat to this at all. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. You know, there's there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of balls in the air right now. Um, but uh, you know, on the on the other side of the uh, of the aisle is the Liberal Party, who's campaigning on the idea of um, getting rid of the provincial sales tax, um, drop dropping the provincial sales tax down to zero. Now, I, I don't know how you make that promise as a government when we are spending massive amounts of money on our COVID response. Yeah. Um, and still maintain the social services that we have as they are now. Right. Um, so that 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 side I see pretty worrying because if anybody's likely to to win this election other than the NDP, it's probably them. Um, so little concerning. You don't have yeah. a money tree in your backyard like the rest of us. I do not. Huh. We should. Can I can I take cutting that. off yours? No, I think we should get you one. Yeah. Well, hey, do you well. You know, this could tie into actually something that we might talk to Tamara about, but you guys want to talk a little bit about Microsoft for a second? What would you like to talk about with Microsoft for a second? They recently released their 2020 Diversity and Inclusion Report, which uh, I thought was interesting. I thought that it's interesting that they do this. So they just, re re you know, release all the numbers of their, of their employees. They break down exactly what demographics um, they are currently hiring. So that includes, you know, women and uh, other ethnicities um, and people with disabilities. So, yeah, so according to a survey of Microsoft employees in the U.S., 6.1% self-identify as having a disability. So, and they do go on in, in the report to say that, you know, obviously that, that that's something, that's a number that they're not, you know, companies they're not happy with. They, they, there's room for improvement, but still 6.1%, I guess, not too bad. Um, but what I find interesting is that, you know, they're being very transparent about this. And I think that that's a, that's a really interesting way to approach this. And I'm not really sure who else is doing things like this. Yeah. Microsoft has had a, a big push on hiring people with disabilities and a big push on accessibility of their products for the last couple of years. So, you know, I think a company the size of Microsoft is definitely taking the initiative and hiring qualified people with disabilities um, to work for them. And 
see the value in that, the experience yeah. they can bring, um, you know, is, is, is varied. Well, and I think that it's always, you know, it's good. It's good to be transparent about these things because, and I, and I don't know that a lot of companies do this, would, would actually release employment stats like this in order to show what they're doing and, and that, you know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Um, I, I think it's a really, a really positive move. And, and I would hope that a, a lot of the other really big corporations would do similar things to this. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I think being in this pandemic has made a lot of companies open their eyes and see that people can actually do some jobs from home, which makes some people maybe with mobility issues a lot more viable an asset to work for them. Well, and, you know, the other interesting thing that the report goes on to talk a little bit about that, that we don't really talk about too much on the podcast, but it's definitely a thing, is, is things like caregivers. So, for example, for, for even for an employee that maybe works for Microsoft that lost, that, like, say, has a family member that requires a caregiver and they, they've lost that caregiver due to COVID, um, you know, that puts that, that pressure on that family member in order to, you know, because they, they don't have a caregiver anymore for that family member. So they, they may have to do that themselves. So, you know, there's, so they have programs in place to help those employees as well that are affected by things like disability. So, um, you know, there's, all, there's, a, there's this whole trickle-down effect um, of, of COVID, that COVID is having on employees that you may not think about right off the top of your head. It's, it's really interesting. And, and, you know, given that, you know, we're probably looking at, at living in this, in this state for at least the next year, it, it's it's really interesting to see how this is all shaping out. Yeah, we're we're seeing a, a a real repositioning of the labor force and and attitudes around the labor force, and uh, to like like we've said many times, uh, you know, this has really um, been a, a boon to a lot of people with disabilities because, um, you know, the limitations that were being put on their jobs before are not necessarily there anymore. Well, and again, and and not only that, the report does also talk about, you know, things like the, the company providing things like ergonomic furniture for people who have to work at home, different types of, of equipment. I'm sure assistive technology is in that bundle somewhere as well. So yeah, I think Microsoft is really, they're really showing leadership in that space. I think that a lot of other companies, uh, I think, should really be paying attention to and, and fo hopefully following suit. Okay, well, I have to throw this in. I don't know the total number of Microsoft employees, but what's 6% of 250,000? <laughs> uh, Not a lot of people. <laughs> about about 12,000? Is it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't do math. Yeah, like I said, I don't know how many employees Microsoft has, but, you know. 15,000. Yeah. So, get on Microsoft. I think. You know, and their tools are getting better and better all the time. Did you uh, did you see the article that I uh, sent over uh, on Slack earlier? Oh, oh yeah, 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 oh, I did. Guinness. Yeah, it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> Why would they do that? Why would Guinness launch the first alcohol-free beer? I don't think it's, it's the not, first. It's not the first. No. It's by in no ways the first alcohol-free beer, but it is the first alcohol-free Guinness. Right. Which is just wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, just I, wrong. I've had Guinness. About the only saving grace for Guinness is that it has alcohol. <laughs> Ouch, them's fighting words. Um, 
Maybe it's just not. <laughs> I'm I'm like a corona. I'm on a lightweight. I can't deal with these really dark, mm-hmm. really. I don't know what the word is. Heavy. Yeah, heavy beers like uh, that. That puts me under the table, sir. Guinness, uh, um, Lord Lord Guinness, who uh, who of course was the owner of Guinness, uh, was a member of the British House of Lords, and he was famous uh, for never saying a word in the House of Lords. And at some point uh, during his career in the House of Lords, uh, somebody had brought up um, dubious medical claims made about various uh, products out there, and he said. Uh, something to the effect of, you know, for example, people say that Guinness is good for you. And Lord Guinness, for the first time in his career in the House of Lords, stood up and said, Guinness is good for you, and sat down and never spoke again. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good story. Anyways, but yes, de-alcoholized Guinness. If if ever there was a sign of the end times, that's got to be it. Hi, everyone. This is Steve from Canadian Assistive Technologies, and this is a shameless plug. We've been working hard to find less expensive Braille products so we can make Braille available for more people. We can now say that we have Canada's most comprehensive lineup of inexpensive Braille solutions, including the 20-cell Braille Me from InnoVision, the soon-to-be-released 40-cell Orbit Braille display from Orbit Research, as well as the world's least expensive multi-line Braille reader, the Canute from Bristol Braille. You can have a look at them all on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Tamara Vrooman. Hello, Tamara. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. All right. Well, hey, well, listen, we want to really thank you so much for taking the time out of your very busy day, I'm sure, to talk to us. And I know we only have you for a limited time only. So let's just launch into it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Maybe we should just start off by by talking a little bit about what is inclusion to you and why is it important? Yeah. So, um, so, so inclusion uh, uh, to me is is really about uh, making sure that, uh, in my case, businesses and organizations have the value uh, and the benefit of diverse experience and perspectives in everything we do. Everything from executive decision making to day-to-day operational decision making, we benefit when we have broad, uh, broad experience. And that broad experience tends to be best when it's not academic, you know, it's not in, it's not from a book or people said, but it's their lived experience. And so um, that lived experience being brought into our organizations and us as an organization doing uh, what we need to, to encourage and curate and cultivate the, that lived experience and the validity of it makes our organizations stronger, frankly. And so I feel good about it because it's the right thing to do from a society point of view, but it's absolutely also the right thing to do from a business and a performance point of view. That kind of ties into the, this, the next question, which is what is the business case for inclusivity and accessibility that, that you sort of use? Yeah, when I talk about the, the, the business case, uh, I, to, let me say skeptics that uh, say, well, diversity is an extra cost. Uh, and I, I, this is this is the narrative I hear. I wouldn't mind doing it, but you know, I'm just not in a place where my business can afford that right now. I usually say uh, this, well, look, 
you're spending money on talent every single day and then they nod. And I say, are you getting the best uh, value from that, uh, from that spending? They say, oh yeah, well, we have good people. And I say, I'm sure you do, but are you also getting the benefit of, of those insights and that perspective that can de-risk your decision-making, that can future-proof uh, because they're thinking about the way that you make decisions. They're thinking about perspectives that you might not have thought about. They're seeing and bringing a different experience. And then the rest of your uh, employees are also getting the benefit of that experience in their daily work. And so you end up sort of punching way above your weight in terms of the quality of decision-making and execution that comes when you have a more diverse uh, workforce and that diverse workforce must be inclusive and get to sort of the final point uh, around belonging. They feel that their uh, perspectives are welcome and encouraged. That's the only way it really works inside an organization. And when you do that, uh, I have found absolutely that our performance improves. We make better decisions. We're thinking about risks more creatively. We see opportunities uh, better than our competition does. And we had the stats in the case of Vancity and we certainly at YBR uh, to prove it because uh, uh, you know, the more diverse our workforce is, the better our financial results. And, and do you find that it's, it's a pretty easy sell? It's a, they get the logic of it. So when I just uh, talked about there, but then it's always like, show me the proof. And I was very fortunate in the case of Van City, say, I'll show you proof. You know, when we started, when we started to really embrace diversity, uh, including uh, reconciliation as well uh, into our, um, our, uh, uh, workforce and our practices, and it wasn't just ticking a box, but really embedding it into our decision-making uh, processes right across the organization, then our results improved. And I had the math to show them. Uh, so that's where, that's where they then start to talk to me about the how. What does that mean in terms of hiring? Or what did your HR practices need to look like? And then we start to get into it a little bit more about the tools that actually uh, put that uh, put that into effect. So, you know, it's interesting. We, we were just talking earlier about Microsoft just released uh, their, they released a report about, about their, their own inclusion efforts and, you know, released all the statistics and stuff. Do you find that that type of transparency, especially when it's a, a larger organization like that, can really help the cause? Absolutely. What gets measured gets done. Uh, and... Uh, I also think that it's important that we measure things that aren't going as well uh, so that we can we can understand why and and uh, and what we can do about it. I mean, you'd never you'd never think of being a uh, uh, being a business or a corporation and not producing your financial results. If you really think that uh, diversity is is one of the things that improves your culture and your culture therefore improves your performance uh, and your efficiency why wouldn't you why wouldn't you report on that I know that there's some challenges around designating and how we label I think that's a different issue than reporting results well and and you've been sort of involved in this for so long um, do you find that when when companies like Microsoft, really make this push towards accessibility and inclusion, do, do you really see the, the results on the ground? 
I mean, I'm not inside Microsoft, uh, so I don't know what what it means truly for the in, inside uh, of their business. But certainly, it gives um, it amplifies the dialogue, right? And so, well, hey, Microsoft is doing it, so other people are saying, well, if they're doing it, maybe I, I should be curious uh, about it because you know they're obviously a large and successful corporation, and so uh, if they figured it out, maybe maybe I can figure it out. So I think what it does is it. It, it invites more of the conversation and more interest in exploring the topic. Maybe the way I would put it is makes it a little bit more mainstream from a, from a business point of view. And, and I, think that's, uh, I think that's healthy as long as you know, the, the results are true and credible and it's not a, it's not a PR uh, campaign that can of course do damage uh, to this work. Uh, but as long as it's uh, credible uh, and valid, then I think they they can really help amplify and and I you know I don't need to have ownership of it. The 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 more voices that are talking about this uh, and moving us in the right direction, the better. So, how has COVID changed things? Has it altered the the emphasis in the fight for in- inclusion? Has it made it easier or has it made it harder? Yeah. So, uh, thank you for that question. I, I, I have a two perspectives on it. The, the, the first perspective is, you know, in the beginning, when we went from working, uh, you know, talking about having everybody work from home, maybe three years from now to doing it in three days. <laughs> um, and we were having, uh, you know, we made sure that, that people had ergonomic chairs and uh, ex- accommodations for everyone, actually, because it's not good for anybody to be you know, sitting at their dining room table with their uh, phone on top of a stack of books, uh, doing uh, Zoom calls or <laughs> Teams meetings uh, eight hours a day. That actually the uh, the ability that that had a, a, a leveling effect in some ways because for some of our employees with accessibility and mobility challenges, not having to commute to work was a huge improvement. In, uh, in, in productivity and, uh, and just um, you know, participation in, in daily work. For those who had you know, not the ideal uh, home space, uh, there was, uh, uh, I think, some work that we had to do right away to get those ergonomic pieces in place, but we were more or less able to do that. And then the key was making sure that the isolation, some of the things we found, uh, again, with, uh, with people, uh, with uh, uh, diverse lived experiences from a mobility and accessibility point of view, and then increasingly, unfortunately, diversity um, in the form of uh, people uh, with lived experience for racism, we found that some of our Asian uh, staff, for example, felt uncomfortable going outside and going on public transit because of the early racist um, connotations of the origin of the pandemic. Uh, and, and, and. So there was a lot that we had to talk about, actually, and things that we had good conversations about what we needed to do to provide supports for people to do their work in a more holistic, whole person way, because people were working at home and we were in their homes, we had to contemplate that better. So I actually think in the early, early times, some, uh, there was some, uh, there's been some improvement in how we think about employee well-being, how we think about employee supports, um, because we were looking at, uh, at people, as I said, 
not as employees in the workplace, but in situ, if you like, in, uh, in, in their own homes. The, the piece that has been more of a challenge though, is that I, I really recognize um, in our case uh, at YBR that while we made great progress around diversity, uh, we, didn't, we didn't institutionalize it in the best sense of the word. And so we didn't make di uh, diversity and inclusion and belonging considerations as powerful as financial or collective bargaining uh, considerations. And so therefore, when we unfortunately had to lay off a significant portion of our staff, because our sector has been so hard hit, um, all of the diversity hires uh, and gains that we have made went first. And so that says to me that we didn't actually complete our work. We didn't, we didn't embed uh, inclusion and belonging we did in an intentional way, but we didn't do it in a systemic way that actually made sure that the, the tools and the, the, the things that we use to actually govern and allocate resources and things that make uh, an organization work, that it was embedded. So we're now doing work, for example, in our collective agreement. Um, how does the concept of inclusion uh, coexist with the, with the concept of, of seniority, for example? Uh, those are things that we need to fix uh, and uh, if we're going to really get this right one. Wow, so it sounds like it's it's really been a learning experience all across the board. Yeah, absolutely. COVID has, uh, COVID has, been, uh, has been very difficult, obviously, for very, very many people, um, uh, but it's also been a, a very forceful teacher uh, and, uh, and we've, uh, we've, we've really, you know, taken that uh, challenge head on. Uh, because we know that there will be a, a future uh, post-COVID and, and we need to make sure that we're better. It's interesting. I mean, I, I know that when, when we've talked about things like, you know, workplace in inclusion and inclusive hiring practices, um, you, we often just think of, oh, you know what, well, you, you just, you pitch it to the, to the company and you, you know, you buy any sort of assistive technology that that employee may use and, and that's it. But it sounds like there's so much more to it. Um, you know, it, it, right from like altering sort of the, the workplace environment as well. And I, I didn't really consider that. Is, is that a, a big part of, of that component as well? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I think that the, the uh, advocates in this area, and I, I absolutely um, have, uh, I believe they're, they're correct. You know, we've moved our language from diversity, ticking a box, filling a quota to inclusion. Well, how are, are those folks embraced and welcomed in our organization to belonging? Okay, well, do they feel that it's, it's actually the, the, the onus of proof is the other direction? It's not, hey, I'm the employer and I can show you what we've been able to do with respect to accessibility and diversity. You actually have to ask those folks, you know, what, what, what is their experience? Are they, is their lived experience part of the way that we uh, make decisions. Uh, do they see themselves in the way that in the way that we would for any uh, any employee? But it it requires us to think about the culture of our organizations because at the end of the day, you know, as a CEO, I of course have money and I have infrastructure and I have IT and I have contracts. And, but really, 
the people uh, is the only thing I really have to put all of those things uh, into service uh, of our business and our results. And if those people, if those people are nominally diverse and our organization is nominally accessible, but we're not embedding uh, that uh, the the ability to to get the, the the, the, the best out of that diversity into our culture and our decision-making the same way we would build, you know, financial discipline or a procurement practice. Like it has to, it has to exist at the core of an organization um, equal to those other tools. What we can see with COVID is it'll be the first to go. So it, it, that's what I mean by saying it needs to be institutionalized in the best sense of that word. So it becomes part of the very fabric of the business and the organization. That's what makes it resilient. That's what allows it to contribute efficiently. And that's what allows an organization's performance to really uh, excel as a result of that component. Um, okay, well, you know what? Uh, last one, because uh, I know we're running low on time. Sure. This is a loaded one. This is this is a big one. So yeah, okay, get ready. So <laughs> I'm ready. There, there's all these different facets of of inclusion in terms of societal inclusion. So there's stuff like there's universal design. There's uh, accessibility when it comes to build spaces. There's digital accessibility, and there's also you know inclusive hiring practices. In your experience, like what kind of ties all of those things together? In my experience, in a uh, from a business context, as a CEO of a of a, of a business, the, the 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 thing that ties those things together would be the 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 purpose of our business. So we need to we need to bring each of those aspects of accessibility and inclusion uh, into our. Um, our, our business and our cult embedded in our culture and institutionalize it in the way that I talked about. Um, if we are going to ensure that those people, those employees, um, uh, hopefully those leaders in our organization um, actually uh, uh, have the support and the platform to be included and belong and participate. And so I don't, it's not enough to have an accessible building. It's not enough to have diverse hiring. It's not enough to, you need all three of those things, depending on your business, you need them probably in different quantums. You know, a, a tech company is obviously gonna have a different need for accessible technology uh, than, uh, than maybe a, uh, uh, another kind of business or another kind of, but, but I really can't emphasize enough we know as business leaders how to look at, you know, if you were to ask me, well, how do you see technology? Is technology is technology about efficiency? Is is technology about communications? Is technology so we know how to embrace topics and embed them in our business. But the the opportunity here is to treat uh, accessibility um, and inclusion the same way, because again, sort of the same message uh, in my experience. If it doesn't hold equal power uh, in an organization, uh, then it won't achieve uh, the benefit that that I clearly have experienced and see the potential for it to achieve. Tamara, we'd like to thank you so much for taking the time out and joining us. Yeah, we've been we've been sort of chasing you for a while, I know, and uh, and trying to make it happen. But you know, we'd love to talk to you again sometime when we have some a little bit more time. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. And I really, uh, I really appreciate your, uh, your perseverance and tenacity. Uh, I really, uh, uh, I, I love your thoughtful questions, including the direct ones. Uh, and, uh, and I look forward to our, our future engagement. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. Uh, I always learn a lot when I do these as well. So, so thanks for that. Awesome. Yeah, anytime. We'll, we'll reach out again. All right. Thank you. Look at that, Ryan. You're tenacious. No, not really. <laughs> oh. They were they were very willing, but you know she was at Van City for nine years, and I think it was just in July here a couple months ago, where she was transitioning over to the Vancouver International Airport. So there was a bit of a let's get Tamara in and settled first before she came on the show. Yeah. So that that's why there was a and bit then, of a delay, but then yeah, for sure. And I mean coming coming into to YVR during COVID, I'm sure is yeah be a lot on our plate so that's really interesting you know what what really struck me about that that the aspect that i really didn't think of um was sort of the the altering of the workplace culture that needs to happen along with bringing in like inclusive hiring practices i mean you can't just you know sit somebody down and be like hey here's here's your laptop here's with jaws here's you know your your braille display go like there's there's a lot more to it than that, and I really hadn't really given that much thought. Yeah, it's that that keyword she used that that sense of belonging, right? You know, uh, that sense of community, feeling like you're part of something, um, and not just a employee getting a paycheck and going home. There's a lot of value in that. And and you know, and there's there is also there's a little bit of a learning curve for somebody who's say and an, you know an able-bodied employee to be you know, in a cubicle now next to somebody who's say blind, um, you know, th they have to learn how to, to work together and what's acceptable and what's not. And so there's a whole, there's, there's a whole education piece all along to that as well. And, you know, as a, as a large company, I mean, you kind of have to manage that. You have to have a system in place to, to address that. Yeah, and I think we're getting there, you know, for years and years and years, there, there was talk of sensitivity training around, you know, what, what we're talking about, inclusivity, diversity, um, racism, all that sort of stuff. And we've been talking about education, education, education over and over and over again. And it sounds like, you know, at least the larger companies are, are standing up and taking notice and, and doing the right thing. But I also, I, you know, I certainly appreciated her, the, you know, the honesty about, about the fact that, yeah, when, when we had to lay off people, um, the, these, these inclusive hiring practices, those were the sort of the first things to fall victim of that. And that's not okay. And, you know, and she addressed that and, and, you know, said there, there is a lot more work to be done. So yeah. it's so thought provoking. It's, you know, you, on the one hand, you just, you think that Inclusive hiring is just a no-brainer, and it's very easy for a, for a company to do. Um, but you know, between talking to Tamara and looking at this this Microsoft article, you know, you kind of see that these these are big issues to address, and there is a lot of work to be done if it's going to be done right. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting her back on the show, and if it's not, you know, a year from now, two years from now, because like she said, and you know, if you listen to some of her YouTube videos and read her wikipedia page um there's there's going to be some changes at yvr and it's going to be really interesting to touch base with her again and just look back and see how far they've come yeah yeah it'll be great to have her on when she has a little bit more time 
you know, we could have talked for an hour, of course, because we're blabbermouths, but... Well, there's lots to talk about. Yeah, we didn't actually talk about the airport. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Well, next time. Hey, Steve. Yeah, yeah Rob. I heard a rumor that uh, that there's some sort of a virtual pub night going on. There is indeed a virtual pub night going on. Uh, we have been running a virtual pub night on Thursdays at uh, 5 o'clock Pacific. That's 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we've been doing them for ooh, a couple, a few months now. And uh, if people want to join us on the virtual pub night, it's done by Zoom meeting. Uh, they are most welcome to join in. Uh, all you got to do is uh, go to the... Uh, Canadian Assistive Technology webpage. That's www.canastech.com, C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. And right down the bottom of that page, there is a sign-up link. If you sign up on there, you will start to get notifications about uh, the pub night. And uh, also our Tuesday, we, we run a Tuesday anti-gloom Zoom room. Uh, just for people to, uh, you know, kind of relax and chat with some folks and not uh, get all insular and stuff. Uh, those happen at uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Tuesdays. So that's what, uh, 1 o'clock mm -hmm. Eastern, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, you could get notices about that as well. Uh, so we would love to see more folks on both the pub night and the Andy Gloom Zoom room. Yeah, I mean, look at that. We get people from all over the world. Anybody's yeah. invited. So yeah, we've had we've we've had uh, what uh, uh, we've got uh, Texas. We've got a couple folks down in the states now. Yeah. Didn't we? We had somebody from overseas somewhere too, didn't we? I don't remember. And there's usually usually trivia. So if you enjoy playing trivia, definitely join the virtual pub night. Yes, we have our trivia master David, who shows up time to time uh, to do trivia. Although I just got notice he's moving and he won't be joining us this week, but uh, uh, maybe by the time this podcast airs, he will be done with the moving. No, he won't, because he'll be in the middle of the move then too. <laughs> so probably the next couple of weeks, no trivia. But you never know. Excellent. And not only that, they could meet one of us. That's right. We need to. We need to do an AT Banter Q and A show. Live Ooh. live Q and A. Live Q and A. We'll throw it out to the throw it out to our lists. Broadcast it on Twitter, Facebook. Let people know we're doing it such and such a date. Come and ask AT Banter questions. I'm sure there are many questions that are burning in people's minds. I'm sure there are. Well, you might be surprised. <laughs> I'm already afraid. <laughs> that would be awesome. We're doing it. Right. <laughs> stay tuned for next week's show we'll announce the date oh okay well we were locked in now yeah all right <laughs> i'm and calling it no pressure <laughs> and with that i'm scared <laughs> is gonna do it for us this week stay tuned next week and we can talk about what scares us including this <laughs> thing <laughs> that's right at banter live yes all right everybody thanks for listening in big thanks of course to tamara vrooman and we will see everybody next week 
This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 